Hello and welcome back to the Happy Smiling People podcast. In today's episode, I'm joined by Sydney-based artist Werner Bronkhorst. Since launching his art business online during lockdown, Werner has become a global success and ships his masterpieces all over the world after selling out each collection in minutes. You may have seen his viral reels online where he creates 3D ski slopes and paints miniature skiers on them. In this episode, we discuss Werner's journey into creating 3D art in the modern world, the importance premium packaging has on determining a successful business, how to deal with creative burnout, building a creative business in the world of social media, how he deals with accusations of copying others, what it means to be fulfilled in life, and much more. Enjoy the episode and do click subscribe to keep up to date with new releases. Werner, hi, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Emily. Thank you for having me. So you are an artist. What type of art do you create? Yes, I definitely am an artist. I work with mainly abstract textured backgrounds that I then paint miniature figures on. So these figures are either skiing or they are snowboarding or uh, surfing, etc. And um, that's basically what I do. (laughs) How did you get into that 3D art? What was the process behind that? Yes, so as we have been talking about before, so when you mentioned that a lot of the people you have on the podcast have started their journeys throughout the pandemic, that is kind of when mine started as well. Although my art journey started way before that in high school. I'm only 22 now, but in high school I was painting, trying to figure out what is my style, where do I fit in in the art world, what do I like doing most? What do people like most about what I do? And so I've been painting miniature portraits or miniature things on watercolor paper for about eight years now. And when I, when I realized that I could mix this with a new media, I definitely started doing that. And what I mentioned by this new media is when in the pandemic, everyone was in their houses. I started making furniture because I needed furniture in this new place that we lived in, my partner and I. And we used plaster, but a lot of the time I would have this leftover plaster and without trying to really like throw it out or just throw it away, I wanted to make something new with it. I had a lot of offcuts of wood, so I then started applying this plaster onto these small canvases that I made. And because the plaster would dry quite quickly, I had to like really quickly work with this material and try and make these sculptural backgrounds. But I didn't want to do it in a messy way. I definitely have a certain style, a very linear style, I guess I could say. And so these backgrounds then looked like snowy mountains. And I realized, okay, well, I can mix my miniature painting skills by adding these, these acrylic figures that are painted on and they were skiing down these mountains um i posted it on tiktok and instagram it got a bit of attention slowly and surely started doing a bit more until one video just went absolutely viral and the rest from there were still going pretty viral and it was just a crazy moment at that time because i didn't really know at the time still what my style was but i just i just had this eureka moment and just this wow moment that um, you know, this ikigai moment, the Japanese talk about this ikigai where it is like your passions that just fall into place and the world loves what you do and you love what you do. So that's how it came about it. 
Oh my goodness, that's incredible. So where did you get your inspiration from? Or did you just think, I'll do this and then I'll do this. And it just turned into this beautiful masterpiece. Well, I always say that the world is a canvas and we're just walking in it. I definitely, therefore, am trying to say that the world is my inspiration. I live and work in Sydney and Sydney is an amazing place with gorgeous weather in Australia, of course. So because it's so sunny, a lot of people just do a lot of outdoor activities. Sydney is close to the beach, of course. There's a lot of beaches, Bondi Beach, which is the most popular of them all. So there's a lot of surfing culture in, in this part of the world, but there's also a lot of kayaking, other water sports like rowing, yachting. There's a big, beautiful bay area. So there's a lot of water sports. Um, you're, we're also not far from the snowy mountains, surprisingly. And yes, it does snow in Australia. So there's a lot of skiing. There's a big skiing culture, especially in Sydney. But then there's also a lot of the green sports, you know, like people just going to the park. There are so many parks, especially around where we live. Um, but even within the city, you know, there's like city life, there's urban life. And I try and paint all of these different scenes, whether it is people just playing a sport on a green field or people driving their cars or people going for a walk or people surfing, all of these kinds of things. So Sydney is probably my most prominent inspiration, but the world as a whole is most certainly the kind of inspirational, yeah, thing behind what I do. <laughs> You're going to create this painting. What is the process, the time, the setting time, I imagine, as well? Talk me through the steps that you go through. Yes, well, I work in my studio, of course. My studio is definitely a very big space, and this is why I call it my laboratory. Um, I call it the laboratory not only because it's like this big white cube of a studio, but it's also just this place where I research a lot, um, where I experiment a lot, and then when I actually create my artworks. So if I can run through the steps, it's definitely the research part that that falls into the first step. I try and accumulate a lot of photos from photographers, from videographers, from all kinds of sources, and sometimes even photograph my own pictures. And these would be of anything, like anything that I want to paint, but I usually work in collections. So now, for instance, I'm working on a collection called White Lines, which features a lot of skiers and snowboarders. So a few months ago, we actually went to the snow when it was winter over here. And um, I would take photos of all these people skiing down the mountain. And it's these people that I would then paint on my canvases. But the canvas goes through the process of first figuring out, like, what material do I want to use? And I say that because depending on what kind of structure I want the background to have or what kind of texture I want it to have, whether I want it to have, like, a glossy effect to look more like snow or like ice, or whether I wanted to have a matte effect to look very different, I would then use different materials to achieve that. So I would mix a lot of like polyesters and polymers and carbonates. Once again, all of these mixtures is why I call my art studio a lab. So once I have this big mixture, I, I usually work with like 10 liter tubs that I then would spread all over this canvas. Sometimes these canvases are very small. And sometimes they're huge, like the one I recently worked on was 180 by 180 centimeters. So it's as big as I am 
and as wide as I am. So you're absolutely just consumed in this canvas. But I work on the floor when I spread these gels. So it's a very physical process, you know, like I, I put the gel on this canvas, I then spread it using tools that I make myself using either wood or foam, etc. And it gives these backgrounds this textural effect. It looks like these big brush strokes. It looks like a giant just took a massive tub of paint and just started playing around on this canvas. And so once this dries over, a, I don't know, maybe five or six days, I would then add these little miniature skiers or snowboarders like I have been doing with this collection. So I would paint that with a very small brush and with acrylic paint. And they're super realistic, you know, like when you come up close, you actually see how much detail is involved in each piece. So that's truly the process. It's starting off with researching what I want to paint. Um, but then as well as that, I also like try and figure out, you know, what names do I want to use? Like, what am I going to call the artwork? Because I usually try and be very funny with my artwork titles or very tongue in cheek kind of cheeky titles. So for instance, uh, like one of them was chill out, you know, like it's kind of more on the funny side. It's just super, super chill. These people are just having a nice day, just skiing down the mountain. But then there's something super cheeky, like doing lines, you know, like someone who's actually sniffing cocaine, but they're also just skiing down the mountain that looks like a lot of white lines. So that's also where the collection name falls into place. The previous collections were all named after band names. So it was the Strokes, the Streets, the White Stripes. So these are all band names. And then I realized, well, perhaps I shouldn't be calling it just after band names. Maybe let's go for something a bit more tongue in cheek again. So now the collections are named after drugs um, or just slang words referred to drugs. So this one is cocaine, of course, and that is why I'm calling it White Lines. But the more direct, sequence to that is of course all of these artworks feature white lines on the canvases amazing and you've got three collections is that correct how have they developed what's the difference between each one do they all focus on different elements so last year is when i really started delving into the collection themes i realized that it's much easier to group artworks by a collection and therefore make it easier not only for me to really be creative within a collection but for each artwork to look similar in some way but then also for there to be some kind of division between when i make a new collection and when and how i focus on another theme and so i mentioned these themes because each collection has a main theme the theme is also connected to the collection name so for instance as i mentioned the first collection was the white stripes it was a lot of skiers and snowboarders, and that was kind of the, the first one that I entered in with, with a bang. The second collection was focused on beach life, because I then wanted to show that, you know, like I don't just paint white canvases that have a lot of skiers and snowboarders. I also paint anything else, you know, I paint people that are surfing, people who are just having fun on the beach. Um, people enjoying the water, a lot of that kind of sun life vibes. The third collection was then focused on urban life and a lot of streetscapes, a, people, a lot of people just going for a walk, people pushing a pram, people walking on crossings, you know, all of these kinds of themes 
involved within our life. Not everyone is on the beach every single day or just skiing all day. We all live a life where one day we're here, the next day we're there. And we all live in seasonal lives as well. Uh, everyone is probably also not just in winter their whole life. They go through the seasons of summer and through work life, etc. So these are the kinds of collections that I try and convey, you know, trying to tell a story of each of us, because essentially my artworks at the end of the day are about us as humans. It, it shows us in this big, beautiful world, although we're all in our own little world and all experiencing our own emotions and our own self in this, in this massive mess of a world. But it's also, it's also easy for me to work within collections, as I mentioned previously. It's, it's a lot more fun because then I can think of names, I can think of titles that have to do with the collection, but also with the, the theme as a whole. And just to push the boundaries a bit, I think many artists tend to forget that like you as an artist at the end of the day need to sell your works. And it's a lot easier for you to sell a group of artworks rather than just singular pieces. And it also makes it a lot more fun for users to wonder like, what am I going to paint next? And what collection is next? Or what am I going to do for the next collection? Is there going to be an exhibition? Is there going to be an online release? Is there going to be a scavenger hunt where they can physically take part? Is there going to be a giveaway? Won't there be? So all of these things just keep people engaged and just curious. So you created your artwork, you posted it on Instagram and TikTok. How did you create it into a business and actually start making a living off it? So as part of my pandemic story is that throughout this period, I was listening to a lot of podcasts. I was doing a lot of research on how to start a business, how to run a business, which of the failures can I learn from that other people have gone through, but also as a whole, my whole life has been semi-entrepreneurial. My dad was an entrepreneur since the age of 16. He was selling newspapers and was going door to door to sell newspapers um, and eventually turned into an entrepreneur himself as, as he is right now. And so I learned from him throughout my life of just knowing how to sell something, but also how to make it sellable and how to have fun while doing so, because I don't want to just work for someone and just sell something that I don't like myself. So that's why I decided to do art because for me, art was this kind of thing that people valued a lot because it has an emotional impact. It's not necessarily something that people need, but of course in this world, we live in a world of luxury. A lot of people do. And so artworks are something that a lot of people want. And I made the kind of artworks that people did want as well because it was beautiful, you know, like my artworks are cute and they're beautiful and it's good to look at, but it also tells a story. So throughout the pandemic, I try to figure out, you know, like what can I, what can I make that people want? So I started by doing commissioned artworks where people would show me what they want and then I paint that. But the thing was that it was kind of soul crushing because I would just be doing something that someone else has in mind. And as great as it was, I learned a lot of skills by doing that. I learned how to communicate with someone to find out what exactly they want. I would find out how much to charge and how, like how much it would cost me to make an artwork. That also gave me a lot of money to like work with and start my own business or start selling my own art, which is what I started producing on the side. 
And so eventually when I made these artworks, posted it on TikTok and people saw it, they were interested in purchasing it. But I knew that I can either take commissions and just do the same ski artworks again and again and again, or I can turn it into a business where I decide what I want to do. And of course, still keep my audience in mind, but involve them in the process. And that's why I make videos of how I create my artworks. I take process shots of the beginning through to the end. And then I edit this as one singular video that I post as a reel or a TikTok video or a YouTube short. And then I just wait. I wait for people to take part in it or to comment. And then of course, whether they want to purchase it or not, but I only sell it as a collection. So I sell it as a collection drop, which is why it also allows me to have people on my mailing list so I can update them about new things. You know, these kinds of typical business aspects and a lot of artists tend not to do that, which is understandable, but I wanted to avoid that because I know that if you can make it big as an artist, it's a great opportunity. And with social media, it's an even better opportunity because the power is in your hands at the end of the day. So so that's kind of the story of how it turned into a business. But even before that, I was working in many industries. I was working in the hospitality industry where I learned how to communicate with people. I worked as a builder where I learned how to work with my hands. Um, I, I had my own furniture company because I, desi I designed furniture on the side. And even that was starting to become successful in the pandemic. And then the art completely took over. But... It's also through selling the furniture that I realized how people purchase things, what are they looking for, etc. So all of these things just fall into place or fell into place when I wanted to really start taking my art seriously. Do you do any exhibitions in galleries? Because it's such a modern approach as an artist to have your gallery effectively being your social media. Yes, definitely. So... So I tend not to work with galleries, although I worked for a gallery a few years ago. And the reason I don't work through galleries is I feel that it's a very impersonal way of selling art because then the power is in someone else's hands. And I love the gallery industry. I think it's great what galleries are able to do for many artists. But I also knew that social media is the kind of place where I, I really blossom there because I'm able to communicate with customers I'm able to communicate with people who love my art. So at the start, it was kind of difficult to find galleries because no one is interested in an artist with no intriguing following, etc. But then my following started growing quite rapidly. Many galleries approached, but by then it was kind of too late because I was already selling my art just through my website. But that in itself was also kind of impersonal because even though I was reaching wide audiences all across the world, I just felt like it's not, it's, not, it's not personal and no one can see these works in person because at the end of the day, these are hyper-textural artworks and they look amazing in person. So that is why now I will have my first solo exhibition that we manage ourselves. I say we because I work as part of a team. So my partner, Charlie, and our two staff members. And this will be in Sydney. It'll be a one-night exhibition. There will be a scavenger hunt where we have shirts of this collection just dropped all over the city and for people to take part in it. And then, of course, to meet me on the night of the exhibition. And nothing there will be for sale because this is 
purely just for people to meet me and meet my artworks and for no one to feel like there's any kind of pressure to purchase my works because the online release will be the day before. So, so yes, there definitely is an in-person element to my work. Amazing. And you ship uh, globally. How do you post off a massive, delicate painting to the other side of the world? What's that process? Yes, yes, I definitely do ship globally. And the reason for that is just because, as I mentioned, my audience is definitely quite global. So a lot of my supporters are based in the US or in Europe and also in Asia, which is why my artworks mostly end up in all of these countries. And at the start, it definitely was a kind of logistical issue because the first few artworks I made were very heavy because of the materials I used. I mentioned plaster and plaster is very heavy. And so even though I was making small artworks, these were still very heavy. It was difficult to ship them because there was always the risk of cracking. And that's why I had to find a medium to work with that is flexible and therefore can't crack in transit, but also something that lasts long, of course, and something that still looks great on a canvas and still has a lot of texture. So that's why I work with gels that I mix myself to get these effects. But now I have the problem of size, because as I mentioned, there's, a, there's an artwork that is bigger than I am. So to ship off something like that definitely does take a, a company that knows their stuff. And so I work with big companies like DHL or FedEx to ship off my artworks in a very professional manner. Um, I don't charge for shipping. It's all included in the price that I charge for my artworks. So that allows the viewer to know that the price they pay is the price they get for everything, including in, import duties, taxes, insurance, all of that included in the artwork and it will arrive there safely for them in a beautiful crate. I have custom packaging. So for instance, the boxes, even on my prints, the boxes have these tiny figures all over the box printed on it. So it's a very beautiful, amazing experience from the start to finish. That said, we definitely have had issues, especially in the first few weeks or the first few releases. But with each collection, we learn what to do, what not to do, which companies work best. And um, yeah, that's that's just how every business goes, I guess. Yeah, no, that does sound like a logistical nightmare. But I love that you really focus on the packaging element as well, because it's so important to not like purchase this beautiful piece of artwork but then it's packaged in a little rubbish cardboard box or whatever it's ugly and you're like not enjoying the process because the process of enjoyment is from when you click add to basket complete purchase to then opening it to enjoy the process of that so did you really focus for a long time on developing your packaging so that the experience for your customers was really lovely throughout. Yes, I am definitely inspired by the Apple effect, <laughs> which is to say that from start to finish, you know, like once you walk into the store, whether it is an Apple store or just any store where you purchase your Apple iPhone, I'm a massive Apple fan, both in aesthetics and also just in how they do things. And so I was inspired by this process of walking in there, you see these beautiful phones just laid out, um, and look, any company can make a phone, but they just know how to make it beautiful and they know how to make that experience feel amazing. And they of course do it with beautiful packaging as well. You know, this whole unboxing experience nowadays, 
less so because they of course skim on packaging for for economical and ecological reasons but it used to be this thing where you just unbox this beautiful box and there's this gorgeous phone and then there's this wrapping around it and then there's this like textured cardboard and it's just all amazing and i love that experience i think many people love experiences and that's why this art industry exists it's an experience and so i wanted to take that one step further with my artworks because i realized that like when someone purchases a thousand dollar two thousand dollar three thousand even forty thousand dollar artwork you don't want it to just arrive in some rickety old box and you also don't want it to be taped over with all kinds of things and then there's there's a paper label and then there's this and then there's that you don't want to see that and so of course at the start it wasn't affordable for me to have beautiful custom packaging but later on as i started increasing the prices of my artworks i did so because i wanted to focus on this experience of unboxing and so each of these boxes really are beautiful. I mentioned before that it has these little people printed onto the boxes. It says Werner Broncos original artwork. And um, yeah, from start to finish, hopefully <laughs> all of my customers would agree that it is an amazing experience from the day that you purchase the artworks, uh, like these artworks sell out in, in a few minutes. So if you're lucky enough to get one, it's just a moment of euphoria. We have received videos from people who are just jumping up and down because they were able to get a piece um, quick enough and from that moment towards the shipping experience where DHL lets them know like when it's arriving to them getting this beautiful box on their front doorstep and then opening it and then there's the artwork like are you kidding me that's something that not many people get to experience and so that's definitely what I wanted to focus on to justify having these big prices on artworks, like having people actually unbox something beautiful. Yeah, for sure. I was really thinking of, of the Apple example when you were talking about that before you mentioned it, because apparently um, there's a marketing like psychological trick that if you have something like quite cheap and it's really hard to open, I would think of like a Barbie doll or do you know when they're like in the plastic that you literally cannot get into or you have something that just it's not really packaged at all. But then there's this like medium, there's a golden medium where it's like it's slow enough to open that you know that it's expensive, you know it's quality and you know you're going to love it. So like the apple, when you lift the box up and it does like that little noise like Shh, and you just open it and it's slow and then just revealed there you have your new product. It's when you actually think about it, it's genius. So it's such an important element of a business to actually create an experience of opening the product. So I love how much effort you've gone into that because it really enhances the experience. Yes, no, it definitely does. I, I definitely agree. I love psychology. I love studying psychology and listening to psychological things, but especially on marketing and branding. And so, yeah, you've got it on the head. <laughs> mm -hmm. And you have quite a good following on social media, on Instagram, on TikTok. Did you intentionally build this up? to the platforms that they are now. If I knew that at this stage, I would have as big of a following on Instagram or TikTok, I definitely would have laughed at you if you told me that a year ago. Um, so no, it wasn't intentional in the sense that I was aiming for a certain amount of followers, but I definitely put in the work to get to this stage. Of course, it's all about luck, but the harder you work, 
the luckier you get. So it was, it was more about having a strategy of posting every single day because remember at this stage, I was also relying on my artworks for income. So I was able to create every single day and the pressure was there for me to create every single day. But it's also the joy of being able to share something every single day with an audience who clearly is following me for a reason. So as much as numbers definitely do matter, I would still be creating whether or not I had a massive following. And now I do, and I'm very lucky and very grateful and very blessed to have that. And I just want to make sure that I give value back because at the end of the day, not everyone can afford my pieces. Not everyone can purchase these and not everyone wants to purchase these pieces. And that's not the point. It's there for people to enjoy and experience. And yes, a lucky few people can purchase these and, and I love having that relationship, but it's also just about sharing artworks that portray us as a human society. So seeing people follow me for that reason and seeing people want to follow along this journey to make cool art, that's amazing. And um, I could not have expected that, but I'm very happy it happened. But with a big platform online comes a lot of different opinions. So how do you deal with any negativity or hate on your artwork? Yes, uh, look, hate or negative negativity, there's... As an artist, you kind of expect it to happen. Whether you're a music artist or a designer, there's always going to be someone who says that what you do is really crappy. And a lot of these comments can be kind of soul crushing in many ways, especially when you as an artist are very vulnerable and you're creating something that not only displays you as a human, but also your point of view on the world. And so putting that out there for anyone to see and for anyone to criticize definitely is, it, it can be tough, but at the same time, I think many artists should know what their value is and many artists should know what they are trying to say and whether someone else's critique is valuable or not or valid or not. Because many people would say, oh, that's a crappy artwork. I wouldn't really think twice. Like if someone said that to me, I, I'd think, okay, that's fair, they can think that, but at the same time, they might not have a reference for why I'm doing what I do, or they might not understand the context behind the artworks, you know, like many people also just think that it's these abstract artworks with little dots, but only when you come close, you see that these are tiny paintings. And I know how difficult it is to make these things. So when anyone says, oh, anyone can do that, you know, I kind of, I kind of laugh in my own little body because I have seen many people try and recreate what I do and it does not look like how I create it. But I've also seen many people comment that I'm copying other artists. And honestly, I totally agree with why people would say that. But at the same time, I want to remind people that like I work in a certain style, just like there's a hip hop style. So saying that someone who's singing a pop song sounds like someone else who's singing a pop song, that's the point. It is a genre of music, just like I create within a genre of art. And I definitely make artworks that look very different once you look closer and once you really compare one artist to another or to myself. But at the end of the day, it's really just about knowing your worth and just about knowing whether people have a valid critique. Because if you don't do that, you definitely fall in the trap of just thinking negative things about yourself and thinking that they are speaking the truth when at the end of the day, they don't know what they're talking about. That said, 
I definitely also take in valid critique. So if someone says the texture I have doesn't look great, I would look at it and probably think the same. Not all of my artworks are beautiful. Not all of my artworks are fantastic and not all of my artworks are meant to look the same. So I definitely want to try and play around with as many things as I possibly can. And I will fail at many times. And so when someone comments something bad about it, I wouldn't say it's bad because it is still valid critique and I can learn from that as an artist. Um, so I think it's important that artists also remember like <laughs> criticism is good and criticism can be good if you make it to be good. So is it quite a new phenomenon that you have to be so individual in your art because you post it online globally for everybody to see? Whereas even like 40 years ago, you could be in Sydney creating your art. Someone could be on the other side of the world doing something quite similar, but you wouldn't be accused of copying each other. But because you have this global stage of social media, it's a lot more competitive and pressurizing to be individual when actually you're in a particular niche with other people in that niche? Yes, look, my, my answer to that can be quite complex, but at the end of the day, artists, like I stand on the shoulder shoulders of giants. And what I mean by that is many artists before me have made great art and I'm inspired by that. And it's for me as an artist important to look at other people's artworks and be inspired by that and try and take elements of it. That said, there is a very clear line between copying and taking an element from someone's artwork. So if someone just says I'm outright copying another person, I definitely would think that that's false because I know what my process is. But if someone said that I'm inspired by someone, yes, I agree with that. And in fact, a lot of the times on my posts, I specify who was the inspiration, whether it was Keith Haring or Andy Warhol or living artists. You know, there are many artists and it's not just painters I'm inspired by. It's also photographers, it's videographers, it's music artists, etc. But yes, I guess there is kind of this dilemma nowadays where a few hundred years ago, the Western cultures versus the Eastern cultures would have, they would have like made the same machines or they would have invented the same things or they would have done the same similar things, but these cultures would not have had the availability of communicating with one another about these inventions. So no one knew that this culture in the East is busy working on this big project, which is the exact same as in the West. Humans are amazing, you know, like we can think of the same things and it can happen at the same period of time. It doesn't mean we're copying one another, but at the same time, Nowadays, we can share things instantaneously and someone across the world can know exactly what we're working on. And so it is that dilemma of when is it copying? When is it original? I don't think people should focus on that. It's just about like, how can you make it original? You know, like I'm taking elements from textural artists like Bram Bogart and Pierre Soulages and I'm taking my miniature skills from artists like Lorraine Lewitz and I'm mixing these things together to make artworks that I love and artists or photographers who I'm in, um, inspired by like Gray Marlin you know like I'm mixing all of these things together and that is what makes an artwork original and it's not original because I just came up with this wild concept and magically just made an artwork no like I am a result of two parents, just like my artworks are the results of many ideas that are 
parents in this situation and they make up this beautiful baby which is an artwork so I don't know if I answered the question but that is I, I feel very strongly about these things because it can be so damaging when someone just says oh like you know you're just copying this person it, it hurts <laughs> yeah there's such a big aspect of getting inspiration from people that's what everybody does like, and if you even focus on just social media, everyone gets inspiration from everyone. Have you heard of trends? Like that is literally copying everybody else, do you know? And that's explicit copying. Whereas inspiration from other people, that's what makes everybody's artwork individual or everybody's creative output individual, which is the joy of it. Can you make every piece of work beautiful? I definitely do have these moments where I just feel like everything just falls in place and where this artwork that I've made is something that I'm really proud of. One example is one of my latest artworks, Snowflakes, and I've mentioned it before, but that is the big artwork that I was mentioning, this massive artwork that is the same size as myself, and it has 69 little miniature figures painted all over it, and not only do I love it because it took so much time and since like the more time you spend on something the more you kind of love it but also just because i feel like it really pushed me to my limits as an artist and knowing how to work with the materials that i've experimented for so long now you know like being able to make a small artwork can be challenging but compared to making something very big and being able to really execute it in a way that i feel proud of is it's an amazing feeling. So yes, I do feel like sometimes my artworks are beautiful. Um, but at the same time, I do think there are artworks that aren't necessarily ugly. Like if, if I feel like an artwork is going to be ugly or not my style, then I just stop with it immediately. And I either paint over it or I just turn it into something else. Um, and that's part of the evolution of each artwork and each idea. Sometimes artworks start out with this one concept and that does not work. And then it turns into something else that is amazing. But the point that I have in my mind is not to make banger artworks every single time. Like that's pretty much impossible to be perfect each and every time. At the same time though, I do try and reach for beauty and I do try and make artworks that I find beautiful. And whether or not someone else likes it, that's up to them to decide. But at the same time, only one person has to own my artworks at the end of the day. I make a video that many people see and I only have one person purchasing it, so so hopefully they find it beautiful too. <laughs> Very good point, yeah. And how do you avoid creative burnout? Creative burnout is a very real thing. I am a creative person, of course. I create almost every single day. But I don't just paint, and I don't just draw and I don't just make miniature artworks. I try and do as many things as I possibly can. You know, like one day I would be walking in a new area and just exploring and just letting my mind wander. The next day I would be in the studio for 12 hours just painting. The next day I would take a hybrid day where like the first half of my day is just about like relaxing with my family, with my daughter, with my beautiful partner. And then I would go to the studio and paint. But even when I'm in the studio, I don't just create artworks. As I mentioned before, I'm a furniture designer and I craft furniture myself. I love working with materials. I love cutting wood. I love making, I love making things. 
And this is part of my creative journey and also why I don't experience burnout. I definitely have days where I'm exhausted from doing things, but never do I ever feel like I'm just unable to make anything because I just have no ideas. In fact, I just have an abundance of ideas and I know I'm very lucky, but I'm also very conscious about why that happens. You know, like many artists just do the same thing again and again and again. And humans aren't meant to be machines. Artists of all people should create. And that means doing something new every single day and being okay with failing. Like that is part of the process. And that is how I learn. And that is how I keep creative because I just, I just, I just, do stuff, you know, like I just play around and I see what happens. I don't know if I can swear in this podcast, but there's this beautiful phrase that a lot of artists have used amongst one is CJ Henry. And it's just fuck around and find out, you know, just, just play around and see what happens. And that's how I stay creative. What do you perceive as success in life? Wow. Hitting me with a deep question. <laughs> success in life. I would I wouldn't just mention that art is there. Of course, I presume that you, you're trying to get something out of the artworks. Um, but success in life is finding your purpose. And I don't think that you ever can find it. And that's the point. It is trying to explore life. It is trying to learn from as many people as possible, doing as many things as you possibly can. Not everyone is talented in that they can just do one thing and then jump through to another thing and then do another thing. But every person has talents and every person has a passion for certain things. And no one really, if you think about it, can just do the same thing again and again. So I think for me, being successful in life as a human being means exploring. It means exploring physically by going on adventures or going places or seeing new things and experiencing new things. But it's also about doing new things, whether it is with you as a person, with yourself, by just learning and reading and listening to other people talk, or whether it is about like expressing and doing things the way that you find is important for you to do now, or later on when you're this old person, to then do things then and to still be successful in the way that you live life. Um, mm. So that, that to me is success and I, I strive for that by not only trying to define myself as just an artist and also not just trying to define myself as a maker, but at the same time, I'm a dad. I have a responsibility of looking, my, looking after my little bubba. I have a beautiful partner and I try and be the best partner that I can be, but not everyone is perfect. I mess up and that's part of the beauty of trying to be successful. It's trying to be a better person every single day and achieving what you can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, completely. Actually, before, before we move on to the next question, I'm curious to know what you think about that. Like, what do you define as success in life? Oh, I don't usually get asked the question. Yeah, I think it's such an interesting question to ask different people, because especially in the, the age of online social media, you can be bombarded with everybody else living their best life. But if there's seven people that you're following and they have their best day one in seven, you're going to feel like everybody's having their best day every day and you aren't. Do you know? So suddenly you're going to feel inadequate. So I think it comes from a deep peace within you that just as you say, what do you want to achieve in life? Taking a step back, what fulfills you? 
Do you know, are you actually spending time outside? Are you having meaningful relationships with your friends and your family? And are you being like a nice person? Do you know, in this world, we can be anything. So why aren't we kind? Do you know, it's the most basic thing. And we have a choice every day, every single person we pass. Do we say hello? Do we say thank you? Or do we hold the door open for someone? Do you know, and that literally takes nothing from us. So I think if we go back to the foundation of, are we kind in how we treat other people? And then that'll like flower out from us. Do you know, that'll shine out from us. And that'll be a big difference. And then when you are fulfilled in that way, it's a lot easier to give more and then to grow as a person. But I think being aware of who you are and what you do is a massive element because a lot of people rush through life and they don't think what makes me happy? What makes me fulfilled? What do I want to do? Do I like my job? If I don't like my job, are there other jobs I can do? Look around and maybe there isn't. And then you'll come back to your current job with a renewed perspective on it and think, Okay, I've not changed anything, but I'm aware of it. I'm intentional with what I'm doing. So I think a huge element is being intentional in what you're doing and then setting yourself goals and being consistent in getting to those goals would be my answer. <laughs> that is beautifully put. I definitely agree with you. And I think it's important that people have this introspection. Um, not everyone is a happy, smiling people every single day, but it's it's definitely something to strive towards and happiness can come with within and happiness isn't a constant feeling of bliss it is an intrinsic feeling of peace as you said at the start so i i definitely agree with you yeah it's important <laughs> so important intrinsic values will last a lot longer than extrinsic motivations so yeah going forward what can we expect to see from you and your artwork? Uh, you can expect a lot. I'm definitely a, I'm the kind of person who just likes to do new things. So I am not only working on this current collection, I'm also working on a lot of concepts for the future, especially next year where I can have bigger exhibitions, where these exhibitions are a bit more interactive, where we have different themes involved, new themes that I haven't explored yet, uh, to have new concepts, to have new ways of thinking about art and what artworks are, and, and not just painting, but also delving into the digital world and delving into AR experiences and delving into AI experiences as well. And so these are the kinds of things that I'm trying to blend into my artworks and into my practice and so that is definitely something that you can expect but also on a shorter note you can expect that I'm, I'm here to stay like I'm not here to just go away anytime soon I'm only at the start of my journey as I mentioned I'm 22 I, I've only just started my art career and for that reason like moving forwards with the kind of technological advances that we have with the kind of things that social media allows us to do and what it allows me to share, there will be many physical and digital ways for people to interact with me. And I, I'm excited. I, not even I know what is coming, but I can tell you that what is coming is going to be amazing. And I hope you're excited. But if you're in Europe and if you're in America, whether you're listening from those two places, next year I will do a few more tours and hopefully in 2025 there will kind of be a, a world tour kind of thing where just like music artists who travel the world and perform the same kind of performances, 
amongst the crowds of those countries. That's the kind of thing that I want to start doing. Of course, I'm not a musician, but I can create a new form of art that I can hopefully blend with other forms of art to create an amazing experience for people to enjoy and for people to take part in. So you can expect big things. <laughs> big things to come. And if people want to follow you online and look at your artwork or buy your artwork, where do they go? So it's not just as easy as seeing what you like and then purchasing it. I release all of my collections as a collection on a release date that is announced via my email newsletters or just via social media. These are limited edition artworks and even my prints are very limited in the kind of quantity that I work with. So being first in line is usually the only way of acquiring an artwork. Yeah, you really just have to be first and that's usually why I encourage people to follow me um, because once you know about the journey and once you know when things happen, that's the, the only way you can be first. Incredible. I'll link your social media and your website in the description of this podcast as well so people can go and check it out and see yeah see your artwork and what you create thank you so much for joining today really enjoyed our conversation likewise what? no i definitely i'm very grateful for your time so i want to say that like what you're doing is amazing and i'm really happy that you allow other people of all spectrums to share what they have in mind what they are doing for themselves but also what they are doing for society as a whole and i really appreciate that you are taking this burden upon yourself of course you're enjoying it and that's great but i appreciate that you are doing it and not just waiting for someone else to do it and i would encourage you to like just keep on going you're doing a really great job well thank you so much